Oh, how do I even go into this? Um, let's start with asteroids. Because uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about how um, other people are terrible, which is, is one aspect of it, and how I really want... Uh, how do we back out of this? <laughs> so, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. No, it, it's not really that bad, because I love Earth, and I think Earth is, you know, it, it's where we keep all our stuff. There's that. Um, it's also... It's got some nice waterfalls. Yeah, it's got lovely waterfalls, and it's got beautiful places to be, and it's got lots of, you know, fascinating and wonderful people, and I think that um, one could spend um, an, an, an excellent and wonderful life just exploring all of the people and places and uh, environments of Earth. That said, there's this trend lately, um, and by lately, I, I'm going to say, you know, last 200, 300 years of connecting everything. And so when we have a disagreement between uh, two groups of people, uh, you know, a group of people that thinks that everybody should be alike and all of the different people should either die or go away versus, say, a group of people who feel that um, uh, differences in diversity are, are beneficial and that people should be welcomed and, um, and you know, accommodated and, and encouraged. That's a pretty fundamental difference. And it's one of those things that right now, the way that we deal with that is we try to smash those people together and either determine that one is right and one is wrong or that they just have to live together, even though in that particular case, living together is actually against the core beliefs of one of the groups. So I think a lot about space as well, and I think about you know what the future of the solar system could be like. Um, I actually think that we're probably not going to leave the, the solar system for quite a while. It's going to take right. us a long time to get to the point where we can make ships fast enough that it makes any sense to go to other planets around other stars. Uh, but quite honestly, even when we do, it'll, it'll uh, fall down to this same kind of problem, which is that right now we're no good at living anywhere but Earth. We have Earth and a tiny capsule above Earth with like six people in it. That's it. And so... What we can do in the short term without needing faster than light travel, without needing, you know, lots of exciting new technologies, um, is we can go and we can live in the other parts of the solar system that we already have. Um, there's a lot of talk about Mars because it's a nice planet sized planet, looks a lot like Earth, it, you know, feels a lot like Earth, and, you know, that's, it's arguable. But the thing is, the basics are there. And people can even talk about, like, oh, yeah, you terraform at it. It ends up being very Earth-like. Um, I think we need to go further than that because we have lots of other places in the solar system that we could be living. And if we've got Earth and Mars, then we've got two places. And that's fine. It's more than one place, but it's it's two. You know, that it, you're, you're not really, you know, doing a lot of, of iteration on, on how we live as a people as a you know creating civilizations you're going to have earth civilization and mars civilization and great that's you know what happens when you have a third disagreement so one of the things that i love thinking about is uh, what kim stanley robinson calls a terrarium or you know terraria and it's the idea that you take an asteroid and you roughly hollow it out it really depends on the asteroid and you spin it up so that, um, so picture kind of potato-shaped asteroid. You take one of the ends, or even both of the ends, and it's hollowed out. Um, you reinforce it, and then you spin it. And you get roughly Earth gravity, or maybe you want Mars gravity, or maybe you want, you know, something in between. But at that point, you've got this internal volume that, depending on the asteroid, and we can talk about, the you know, what the opportunities are, but depending on the asteroid, you can have the rough equivalent of, say, a small city on Earth um, in terms of a total environment. And you could then do the ordinary things that ordinary people do in these environments on Earth. Uh, but the big difference is that it is completely separate. 
um, ecologically and otherwise from all the places around it. It is relatively difficult to get to, um, and uh, by default, it doesn't necessarily need to to interact with its neighbors. Now, those are all statements that we should probably dig into, but uh, based on all of that, what do you think? Well, so I, I very quickly fall into this uh, <laughs> this style of argument, which is probably its own fallacy. Uh, let's let's give it a, a fallacy style name. Let's call it uh, argument from science fiction. Okay. Um, where where when you say that, I start thinking about all the science fiction stories I've heard. Uh, that that feature people living like this, and, and like I I, I want to say that it's a, like it would be a fallacy to completely uh, end the conversation there, but I think it is really helpful to begin the conversation there because um, um, science fiction authors are very good. Well, humans in general are are good at predicting the future when they're working uh, as a big group, right? The what's it called? Like. Not crowdsourcing. There's a better word for it. Um, the wisdom but, of crowds. Yeah, wisdom of crowds, sure. Uh, and, and when you get a bunch of people together all speculating, they, they average out to something pretty realistic. And I think that science fiction is a great, uh, a great realm for that because it's – uh, not only uh, it's a smaller number of people doing the speculating, but a lot of people get really engaged in it. And so it introduces ideas. And so it's half crowdsourcing. It's half, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and there are two particular series that come to mind. The first is the expanse, uh, which is super popular. And another one that's less popular is the Virga series, uh, which begins with Son of Sons uh, by Carl Schroeder. And in both series, we see worlds where uh, gravity is expensive and the poor people don't have gravity and the rich people do. The poor people all suffer from um, all the different low gravity uh, um all the effects of low gravity uh, that look very much like disease in a, in a lot of instances and the rich people don't have to worry about it. And, uh, and it's just another way to marginalize people. Um, and so that's what I'm worried about. Um, I, I love the idea of, um, of multiple places to be able to go like different nations that you can kind of, you know, see what, what suits you and go be, you know, by yourself or be with other people. Um, I love the idea of using our technology to change the world around us to suit us. Um, I think that's, I mean, it sounds like the Christian idea of, of domain, but I mean, it's, I think it's really good. And I think it's a way that humans can be very satisfied. Um, I think that, I mean, for me, you know, when I'm changing the world around me, I feel better, you know, even if it's just, you know, cleaning the house. Um, and I think that humanity in general, uh, does not get to, um, to engage in that except for, you know, the top, you know, one or 2% of the richest people in the world. They get to actually not only change their lives, but change the world. And, you know, they, I think that they really like being able to do that. Um, and I think it'd be really cool for more of humanity to be able to change things to suit, uh, to suit their tastes. Now that, that's but, an interesting one to to dig into because um, I think that there are two varieties of that. There's one where you can you can alter your own domain. You can basically create your own environment, which is, I guess, the general term that I would use for that is gardening, uh, where you can produce an environment that is suited to you based on your own immediate effort. There's a, a second part of that that um, I particularly see, see um, growing up in the, the southwest of the United States uh, in Southern California, which is kind of an initial effort to garden an area in a, in a way that is roughly self-sustaining. I say roughly because Southern California is actually fairly bad at it, but I mean, there are plenty of other places around the world that you can, that you can talk about where 
if you you know scoop back ten thousand years, uh, that place was inhospitable to human beings. But because of some sustained effort, you know, bringing in a certain kind of tree or 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 plant, um, you know, canals, uh, all kinds of other things. Uh, you actually create an environment that then, as a kind of a template environment, uh, is actually more conducive to people that then people can come in. And whether they're gardening or not, uh, it, it kind of, you know, improves the uh, the, the overall place. Hmm. I wonder if that actually affects the general population, though. Um, because a lot of people can't tell the difference between an invasive species and a native species. And a lot of people don't have any sort of connection to infrastructure like, you know, canals. Right. But, but that, I, that's I feel what like I mean on, a, that on an asteroid, yeah, it'd be so much greater. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's the thing is you've got somebody who's benefiting from canals without actually knowing that the canals exist. Um, I mean, this is true for Los Angeles. Um, you've, you, I, I would imagine probably 90% or, you know, even more of Los Angeles uh, residents, the people who live there, don't really think about the fact that all of their water, which then makes all of this other stuff possible, comes from somewhere else entirely and treks, you know, entire, you know, all the way across the uh, the state. And I can picture the same thing in, say, you know, a, a, an asteroid terrarium, mm -hmm. where you've got the people who live there weren't necessarily the ones who built it. Um, I'm I'm picturing kind of this you know, core of engineers who goes from asteroid to asteroid, building out the interiors of these places, spinning them up, getting kind of the basic e ecosystem running. Um, I'm actually thinking of somebody like uh, uh, Deep Space Ecology, um, uh, Morgan Irons company. You know, that's basically, it's like, here, here are all the things that you need for a functioning ecosystem. We've built a dozen of these so far. Um, you know, we'll set it up for you. But then at that point, you've got the people who live there and, you know, they're living in it as though it was a place that was always that way. And, you know, there's probably some, you know, rules of thumb that they have to, to live by in order to maintain this. But the, the setup would be would be done for them. Um, now that I made a whole bunch of assumptions there that basically setting up an environment like this was done with equity in mind. I mean, you mentioned The Expanse and, and this other series that I hadn't heard of before, Virga, and how gravity is expensive, which is a really interesting idea to me because I would, I would not, being me, I would not want to set up all of these terraria to do this. And, and just, just to you know, make the numbers clear, I'm talking about roughly a million different destinations around, mm. say, the main belt asteroids. Mm. And um, absolutely, that's something that you'd have to go into it, basically saying, we want to make each of these be livable spaces with maximum livability at the default state um, so that when people come into it, they have, you know, roughly Earth-like environment. Um, generally, you'd want to pick, you know, asteroids that have enough size so that when they are spun up, they are spun up to roughly 1G, or like I said, you know, half a G or whatever you, you actually choose. But the idea is that folks are generally living on the, the outside. It's not tunnel-based. It's actually large internal volume-based. Uh, picture the inside version of kind of a big dome. Um, and then at that point, you've got a complete, in, uh, a complete ecosystem that you put into it, which is where the whole kind of terrarium idea comes in, that then you kind of install people in. That, of course, is that's strongly opinionated from my point of view. You could very easily set up, you know, a random asteroid that is tunneled out, spun up to the point where only, you know, bottom level is actually, uh, you know, getting the the appropriate amount of gravity for for people to live well and people live elsewhere in the asteroid because it's cheap like you said gravity is expensive um and you'll get that gradient um again it, it's one of those things where i think that would be also a function of the societies that were setting these things up it's like would you choose an environment 
that is equitable to everyone from the beginning? Or would you choose an environment that was that had this kind of gradient of equity? Um, and that that's the part that, I mean, to be entirely honest, worries me because I want to set it up in the, 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 the maximum equity uh, point of view because at that point, people are going to be living in a place that has equity built into the walls at least you know in this in this basic sense there there are plenty of other ways that you can be differentiated um as opposed to like the kind of um robert moses bridges uh around new york i can't remember if we've talked about those Mm-mm. where um when building the uh the highways that go from new york city out to the the beaches of i think it's long island um there were a series of bridges that were put in that uh, were lower. Um, the bridges were low enough that buses could not get through. And the the idea, it's slightly controversial, but it's it's fairly solid. The idea is that Moses specifically did not want people who could not afford personal vehicles, their own cars, to be able to get to these beaches in kind of the 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 tonier part of uh, of of Long Island, and so that still exists today. You can't drive a bus down that highway because those bridges are still in place. They're still too too short for buses to get in, and so it's built into the environment. The inequity is is uh, is already there. Hmm. That's that's really creepy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's one of those things that, I mean, you, you look at something like, uh, you know, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is, again, one of those places where people live there not necessarily thinking about what gave rise to the place. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a tiny town until uh, a dam was built nearby. And that dam provided an inordinate amount of power. Uh, so much electricity that they were just you know, they were bleeding it off however they could, which then again gave rise to, you know, two or three story tall electric signs. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want your electric signs to say? Well, we've got gambling parlors, parlors. So let's, you know, make it, you know, three story electric sign encouraging people to come to the gambling parlor. And so it, it kind of the entire place built up around that initial built environment. So, I have an alternative for how you could set something that like that up. It would take some coordination and would probably cause some strife. But what if you had, as a principle for settling asteroids, that the settlement of the asteroid had to be based around the people who would be living there? which is totally not how anybody does things these days, but let's just pretend. And let's say, because the other, the other part of asteroids that I think gets a little bit lost in translation, I don't, e- I don't actually know. I haven't read or, or watched The Expanse, so I don't know how they deal with this. But what you're getting from asteroids when you are mining is generally one of three things, and I'm forgetting the third, but... You've got the kind of the metal-based asteroids where you've got all these metals that on Earth are fantastically expensive and very limited um, to the point where a single asteroid would basically double Earth's market for, say, platinum group metals and that kind of thing um, overnight. And that's a single small – an asteroid that for our purposes is too small to live in. Mm -hmm. And so – just hollowing out a single of these asteroids, um, let's say there was a contract structure, and if you you know build out an asteroid and you build an interior environment like we just talked about, this kind of gumdrop shape, this this internal dome, then you can you know hang on to uh, one tenth of the metals that you extract, and the other ninety percent are going to be owned by the people who live there. Uh, let's say you also have a, a, a rule, a contract, whatever, 
that says in order to to live in one of these asteroids and take advantage of the the ninety percent of of the the metals that have been extracted from your gumdrop, then uh, you need to have at least a thousand people, and that thousand people have to live there at least twenty years, whatever, and they have to be they're they're their own people. They have to be uh, um, I'm blanking on the word self governing. Mm. So let's say you set up these basic ideas. What comes out of that? Well, you have a group of people that have an enormous amount of trading resources. Um, the kind of trading resources that, you know, would keep you supplied in uh, chocolate and coffee for, for years because, you know, you're trading with the earth market to start with or, you know, other markets. Um, and then you have this, this internal volume that you're using all those resources for. Plus, because you need to be self-governing, then at that point, it's not like your work to set up this environment is then getting bled off into some, you know, you're not, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary of Dow or something like that. Or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a mining uh, conglomerate here and I can't think of one. I'm trying to think of one of the mining conglomerates in... Uh, in the expanse, and there's one particularly big one. Um, oh, Mal Krakowski. Okay, so there, you're not a, you're not a, as a place, you are not uh, a subsidiary of that. Well, of course, you know the question is where, where are those big corporations? Because they're going to be there. They're going to be as grabby as they always have been. Um, well, the, that ten percent is actually still an enormous amount. So let's say you're trying to work your way through a million places to live. Well, the companies and, and organizations that do that are going to be enormous because they're going to have all of the ability to set up these places. And what's going to happen is these, you know, thousand person groups. I mean, and I say a thousand, I don't even know. I, I've, you probably want some kind of minimum amount so that people will actually live there. It could be a thousand, it could be 20,000, it could be whatever. But these groups now who then, you know, let's say they get a claim and they get a claim to a particular asteroid and they say, okay, now we need to hire a company who's going to take 10% of, of what they, they get from this thing, but they need to produce us um, a nice place that we all want to live. So let's pick the best company. Well, now there are like two or three competing companies that are actually quite good at, you know, hollowing out these terraria and setting up infrastructure. So these people who now have kind of all of this speculative money um, in the form of the metals or whatever can, you know, have their choice. But then these companies, like I said, they're doing thousands of these. And each of these thousands probably gives them enough resources to crash the entirety of earth's market in right in metals right and so that it's you know there's there's a lot of avarice that can be satisfied with that i think well and and i wonder how um so so the idea of you know this group of a thousand people having 90 percent of the the minerals in this asteroid, like the, the mineral rights. Um, like when, when just pulling off 10% is enough to drastically affect um, earth's uh, in, entire market for any of those metals and probably for a bunch of others, because if all of a sudden you're swamped with, you know, one ingredient that you need for batteries, then the other ingredients become more expensive because, you know, people are buying up, try, beginning to try to make more batteries. And, you know, you've got these fluctuations that, that ripple through Earth's economy. Um, and if that can happen with just one asteroid, that's, you know, 10% of what an asteroid that's big enough to live in, like all of a sudden, the other 90% becomes pretty worthless. Um, yes, and I know So the, somebody, and I can't even remember where it was. Um, somebody made a great 
uh, um, analogy, it might have even been the, the orbital mechanics uh, slack, made a great analogy with aluminum. So aluminum was at some point in history in a very similar place where it was very expensive to mine, very expensive to refine, and therefore um, exceptionally difficult to get. And it had all these kind of potential uses that everybody would ignore, but then only the really, really expensive uses of aluminum were, um, were what were used. Hmm. Then there was this connection between Australian mining of aluminum and power for, um, for refining it coming from elsewhere in the world. I think at one point it might even still happen where you know, aluminum is actually, or bauxite is shipped to Iceland and Iceland has mm. enough power that they can actually, you know, do well with it. Um, but what ended up happening is that market crashed as soon as this Australian uh, aluminum hit the market. Because it was, it was like, you know, a hundred times as much. However, it almost immediately rebounded to almost the same levels because all of these new uses of uh, aluminum came out. And by the same levels, I mean the total volume of the market in terms of, uh, in terms of dollars rebounded. So it was not that individual aluminum w was expensive. It was that overall the amount of, of money that people were spending on aluminum grew because aluminum was so fantastically useful. So I wonder how solid of an analogy that is because that's still within the bounds of all of the materials we have on earth. <laughs> Whereas if we start bringing in additional materials from asteroids, uh it I mean it's going to be hugely at least in terms of accessibility I mean, hugely greater than what we could access on Earth. I don't, I don't know. And, and aluminum is is such a – it is a very versatile material. I mean, and, and we have um, huge amounts of, of products that we can dump it into. Um, and I think that those products are things that we easily could have – predicted before, you know, like if you were to go to some material scientists and say, hey, let's imagine that all of a sudden aluminum is, you know, super common. Uh, they probably couldn't have predicted that, you know, soda cans would have been mostly aluminum, but they probably could have predicted that um, or, or actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to change that prediction. I'm going to say, you know, they might not have been able to predict that we would have as many airplanes as we do. But they might have been able to predict that it would, you know, find a, a use in households in aluminum cans. Um, and I don't know. I, I could be totally wrong about that. But, I mean, thinking about some of the some of the materials that we could get out of asteroids, like platinum, we have a number of uses for it, but it's all in electronics. And they're all things that are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It's not like platinum makes good heat shields or, you know, works well in structures, you know, like, like, I feel like, I feel like that might not end up being that great of an analogy. Potentially. Yeah. Um, I, I actually don't know all of the uses that we might yeah. end up with for, uh, for platinum, whether it's the kind of thing where, we could, you know, build out entirely new kinds of computing structures if platinum was cheap, if uh, battery tech would be everywhere and we would just build batteries into everything because, you know, platinum is cheap. If, you mm -hmm. know, scrubbers, um, you know, air scrubbers suddenly become mm -hmm. this, you know, uh, enormous industry uh, where, you know, uh, minutely controlling uh your your air this is actually it's on my mind the past few days because seattle is covered in smoke uh from the fires in uh in, in uh, british columbia and uh and i'm thinking about it, it's like you know i don't have an air conditioner and that's all right i can kind of deal with that but i don't have anything to take all this crap out of the air and so that would be uh super helpful but um mm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it, it is hard to uh, to predict yeah. because there is that other part of it where I can predict maybe the first order things. It's like here's how we use platinum now, and here's how we're going to you know use it. But you know the second order things or or the new technologies, no idea, no idea. So, well, I mean, you mentioned it being used in uh, um, an air filtration. Uh, well, like you know, as like uh, like I know that it's used in catalytic converters in cars and that kind of thing. Right, and like that would be really interesting if uh, if we you know flooded the market with something and then immediately had a new use for it uh, in spaceships. You know, where you've got these gigantic uh, human habs that need enormous, you know, Eccles plants. Um, and, yeah, and, and I and think that brings like, up oh, the well, other... Hey, guess what? The thing that we need is right here. That would be really cool. Yeah, the, the, the other part of this, which is the other environments as trading partners for... I mean, I, sorry, I started out calling them Terraria, so I should keep doing that. The <laughs> other Terraria as um, trading partners uh, for your... your uh, terrarium because that i mean that's also a little bit weird because if you've got you know one tiny trading partner of a thousand people and one enormous trading partner of you know whatever nine billion people at that point Mm -hmm. you you're not going to really get much trading out of one thousand uh uh, person but Mm -hmm. once you get enough people in enough terraria then they're actually going to be your nearest neighbors. And so Mm -hmm. if there are a billion people in Terraria in the main belt, and those are the people that you're trading with, and there are lots of different ones and they need different things. Yeah, I could could totally see this. I'm trying to look up the... uh, There are three kinds of, of asteroids, and I'm forgetting it there's there's basically the carbonaceous ones which we haven't talked about there's the kind of the metallics which we have talked about um and so the metallics you know that it's i think it's like 10 percent of them um are the metallics something like 80 percent of the asteroids are these carbonaceous ones which we haven't really even talked about this one of the like the the best asteroid mining targets um, that's been identified so far is water. And so identifying and and finding water um, that's not on Earth uh, means that it it can be considerably less expensive for for space habitats. So finding water, and I think trading water, um, will probably be a a fairly big thing uh, amongst these uh, terraria themselves. Yeah, except don't you think that water is going to be something that you need to establish early on and then it just gets recycled? Like, it doesn't seem like we're going to lose that much water. Right. And and that's the thing is you're, I don't think you'll necessarily be losing water um, as water. What you'll do is you'll have, say, a new habitat coming online that has, say, you know, metals or I'm trying to think what the, the, the third, it's like olivine. I don't even remember. Um and, you know, so they're going to be water poor, so they'll be doing trading to the the water rich. I think what's probably going to be more likely is that you will have, say, more agrarian um, asteroids or terraria um, and less agrarian terraria, which is a hard one to say. And <laughs> so what you'll have is you'll have, you know, um, a terrarium that's shipping, you know, an enormous amount of you know, food, chocolate. I, I mentioned chocolate and coffee because those are two things that are going to be really tough in the early days on Mars uh, because they're they're very sensitive uh, uh, growing plants. And they're also something that once you've grown them and you actually can kind of process them down, they, they ship pretty well. I mean, it, it, think of like the big tea blocks that used to get shipped around uh, the world um, in, in that era. But... Um, so you've you've got kind of these agrarian environments and they're going to be shipping probably not so much like just regular food but 
uh, definitely difficult to grow food or, um, you know, odd foods or, or special foods. And at that point, you will start to, to see losses uh, in these places. So you'll probably have hmm. some kinds of raw materials because, again, carbonaceous, now you've got water, you've got other compounds, you've got, you know, whatever else is, is going to be in there. Um, and most of these environments, they're going to have to be a lot more like narrowly managed than Earth is because you you don't have as many um, external inputs for your environment. And so you might end up, it's like, oh, you know what? We're just overall and in our entire terrarium low on phosphorus. And so we're going to need to trade with, you know, somebody who's who's got a new mining concern with uh, with phosphorus or whatever. Um, so I think the third type that you're thinking of is silicaceous. Silicaceous, that's the one. Yeah, I have no idea what that's good for. So, <laughs> yeah, so it goes uh, carbonaceous is the most common, then silicaceous, then metallic. Um, and uh, maybe my favorite asteroid, uh, four thirty three Eros, is a silicaceous asteroid. Ah, yeah, very nice. Um, yes, I like. So, that. so I, I'd like to. Uh, kind of rain on this party and talk about um, the science fiction aspect <laughs> of your plan, Yes, which is, I, I don't think that you can hollow out most asteroids and spin them up. Uh, certainly, I would say that a G is probably out. I think maybe, maybe a 10th of a G is, is realistic, but even, you know, half a G is, it might, might be pushing it. Um, but, uh, I mean, there are a lot of asteroids that are just rubble piles, which, you know, couldn't spin up even if you didn't hollow them out first. But some of the bigger asteroids, like, I don't know if you can hollow these guys out and then spin them and not have them crumble. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a beautiful picture, like, to have, uh, you know, clouds forming in the middle where there's low gravity and greenery even when you look directly up like that's really cool but i don't know if that's possible yeah and i i think what i've been largely um imagining for this and and absolutely i i i will concede that it's it's a big engineering challenge and maybe even too much of a challenge but what i've been picturing is if you have kind of your roughly potato shaped asteroid which a lot of them are going to be um you've got kind of the, the the long axis. And if you picture kind of a dumbbell um, shape uh, or an hourglass shape um, where either one end or both ends is, is hollowed out. And that's, that's basically how you're going to just spin it up along the, mm. the axis of the, the dumbbell. Um, it would, it would take a lot of, uh, reinforcement. Um, you know, you may actually even be building internal structures, uh, through the, the center of the asteroid. What I don't think would happen is, is like fully hollowing it out. Cause I've seen that picture as well, where you have kind of the, um, I think, uh, um, uh, John Farley's, uh, um, asteroid that he talks about in, in some of the, the Red Thunder series. It's, it's kind of hollowed out the entire center and then spun up along its long axis. Uh, and, and again, you, like, like you described, you kind of, you look up and there are people on the other end. It, it, it ends up looking a little bit more like an O'Neill colony at that point. That, that's going to be tougher. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can see that as, as, you know, being, uh, a lot more difficult because at that point, you basically have to be building your asteroid into a shell um, where, you know, at this point you're, you're just basically using the asteroids raw materials to build a, um, a, a space habitat in the, the O'Neill style. Um, what I'm thinking of more is that the initial ones would probably be much, you know, larger and, and you'd probably pick them for, for stability and you'd hollow out a fairly small um, volume from the asteroid so that when you're spinning it up, first of all, larger asteroid, you don't have to spin it as fast. So, you know, the entirety of it, you're not, it's not flying apart, hopefully. 
Although, you know, you're you're getting to 1G at some point, so you know, you're you're probably going to lose uh, quite a bit of surface mass. Uh but um the the metallics um are a good, you know, first choice for that because of course you you have a lot more that you can bond together. Um so some kind of combination of tunneling and then, you know, actually, you know, welding or or whatever. Um, the, the tunnels that you're making so that they end up being structural members. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's a small overall volume. And so you're not reducing the overall structural, uh, um, uh, stability of the, um, of the, uh, the asteroid too much. But yeah, I mean, I, all of that said, that's, it's a huge challenge. It's, it's definitely yeah. not something that we're, uh, we're going to be good at anytime soon. Well, and I mean, that's certainly a much more reasonable way of thinking about it, which, which does kind of settle some of my, some of my issues. Um, and, and then if you were to, to grab one of these, you know, peanut shaped asteroids and only hollow out one of the lobes, you're also going to be reducing another problem, um, which is that humans really don't like spin gravity. Um, right. You have to build really, really huge structures um, before the Coriolis effects becomes negligible enough for us to not want to die. Um, and if you only hollow out one end of an asteroid, uh, it, it shifts the axis of rotation away from the inhabited area. Um, and so it, it lengthens that. And that, that might help. I, I still don't think we're going to be able to... Uh, to, to spin up an asteroid um, to the point where it's going to reduce, uh, you know, low G effects on the human body um, and not make us want to die. Certainly, certainly even just having a little bit of spin is good um, because it means that you can set something down on a table and it's not going to move, um, which is, and it allows you to do, you know, uh, earth style chemistry where you use, uh, um, density gradients to do a lot of your work for you. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time working on, on zero G drugs that'll help us develop properly in, in low gravity. Uh, and of course that's, you know, that also worries me because drugs are expensive and only rich people can, can afford. Zero yeah. G drugs. That, that sounds like your, your, it, it has to be, you know, something that's again, environmental, where as mm-hmm. soon as you move somebody into it who has not been adapted to this environment, they will function well as mm-hmm. is because, like you said, a new person is born and they're starting from scratch at that point. Um, I would much rather want to find a solution for that that allows spinning it up to, say, you know, minimum safe gravity. Yeah. Uh, we don't. By the way, we have no idea what that is. That's entirely (laughs) speculation. We know what zero gravity is like, and we know what one gravity is like. And we have like nothing in between. You know, what is it? A dozen people who have ever been in one six G. Um, and even then it was for very, 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 very small amounts of time. Yeah. It was like for two days and then they go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, and Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a lot more information needs to, but. You know, let's just assume that there's a, a minimum safe gravity and it's, say, yeah. you know, a third of a G or something like that. Well, and that that's so fascinating to me because, like, who knows? Maybe it's a tenth of a G. Maybe a tenth of a G is all you need to be healthy and will, you know, wind up with these super tall, beautiful moon people um, <laughs> who have amazing physiques because even though they're in low gravity, they can do all the exercise they need by running, you know, running laps around the moon as like a marathon. Uh, like, uh, you know, that that's the ideal, like that's, that's the hope, but it, it's also kind of terrifying because, you know, what if we need 0.9 G's? Right. Yeah, at that um, point, it, it it becomes a very, very different place. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in this particular example, um, you're not going to have people living in a terrarium until the terrarium can be spun up to, you know, full mm-hmm. G or whatever. And I, I honestly just, I don't think you're going to get that because 
one of the things that I see over and over and over again is this sort of sense of um, the off-world colony as this horrendous sort of mining platform mixed with a mall, sort of like people living in tunnels. And and just quite honestly, I, I think that any like harsh environment that, that's that harsh to the point where people are just miserable all of the time is going to be very hard to justify when you have so many things that can be happening on Earth. And so the only way that you could justify that is if those people working under those terrible, harsh conditions could then become rich by doing so. It's the, you know, um, going to work at the Alaskan cannery before college uh, point of view. It's the people who work on, you know, oil uh, platforms now. It's you do that for a very short amount of time because you know that you're going to come back from it and be really well off. Um, that's not entirely the case. There are folks who work in sulfur mines in, you know, what is it? Uh, South, South Asia, something like that. Um, and, and so sometimes it's just because you're in this circumstance and there's no way out of it. But there, nobody lives there yet. Nobody lives in the asteroid, boil, the asteroid belt or on near-Earth asteroids or even on Mars. And so if it's going to be horrible to live there, you're not going to draw people. There, there just won't. It, mm. I think it's going to fizzle out if that if mm. that becomes the case, um, in, unless you get to the point where we completely reinstate, uh, instate um, kind of this transportee kind of slavery, where yeah. it's like, okay, now a hundred thousand people are going to be sent from Earth to this place without any choice of their own, and they just have to make the best of it. Um, I, I'd like to hope that we're not going to get there. I'm certainly going to fight against that way of thinking if we do so. But I would much rather have it be a, a place where it has its own benefits that are inherent. And you can say, it's like, yeah, I want to you know, move my entire small city or people who think like me or um, my ethnic group or whatever to this new place because it is a place that provides us with opportunity and, you know, people have actually done well there and, uh, and can continue to do well. Mm. One can only hope <laughs> like there, there's so much hope in that idea and, and, you know, yep. I, I got to the other hand to as grasp well. But... Uh, so we'll talk about one last uh, bit of a problem. To, to figure out, and that is power mm -hmm. um, in the electrical sort of sense. Uh, I think energy is going to be a really big concern for these places because you're talking about an entirely internal volume now, and you're trying to support an entire ecosystem without the, within that internal volume, and you don't have the sun to do that for you. So... Well, it, it doesn't really – the internalness doesn't really matter because out in the asteroid belt, the sun's already diminished, you know, goddamn the square law uh, or the inverse square law. Like, it's just uh, – it, it, the, sun, the sun power out there is just so weak anyway. So, you know, you're going to have to have asteroids that are spinning with huge, huge solar sails around them. Uh, and you know, that's actually kind of cool. If they're spinning, then those solar sails don't even need to be that massive, uh, cause they can just be flung outward with centripetal motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so we're, I think we're that... potentially, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I think that would be a, a really intriguing way to, uh, to do power. And, mm -hmm. uh, that would be a unique way. Cause I mean, it, it could be the kind of thing where it's like, okay, we have these giant solar panels and what you need is basically a, a shipment from one of the, the silicaceous, did you say, asteroids. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we've got the metals from our, inter our own asteroid. And so we can produce those, those panels, you know, and uh, that's what makes it possible. That, uh, well, it would have to be before it was habitated. 
Uh, right. And that's for, what I mean sure. is, is yeah. during the kind of, I, I picture these things as having kind of a fairly long construction phase. Mm. Um, it, it's like, uh, you know, watching your house being built before you move in. It's, it's, <laughs> it would be a total nightmare to be anywhere near they're it. They're going to, they're going to be expensive, really, yeah. really expensive. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the other alternative that I'm, I'm kind of hoping for is that yeah. we can, we can finally crack, uh, fusion. Yep. And that there, it might even be that there's like this very expensive, if you're doing it on Earth, way of doing fusion. But uh, with the materials that you've got on these asteroids, it, it becomes more reasonable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, who maybe. Knows? Who knows? Um, That's very handy. But I mean, if you can do fusion, then you can send out robots um, to, to go build these things and then have people move in afterwards. And that'd be totally reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're you're kind of renting the the robots from the the company yeah. that's gonna do well by them, and then they just keep improving them. Yeah, John Deere or Cat. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, there's a a story in the old uh, Little House uh, books of um, basically there's this um, uh, harvesting machine that uh you know the the individual uh farms you know can't afford it or even the the towns can't afford it uh but there are folks that come through with these harvesting machines and they just kind of rent them out and uh you 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 know rush to use the harvesting machine as much as you can to uh to to harvest and then you give a, a percentage of the the harvested uh whatever it is you know wheat or whatever to the folks who are uh, who operate the machines, and then they move on to the next town. Yeah, that still happens today. Um, there, around harvest time, there are a bunch of uh, ads that go up for uh, um, combines for rent. Um, and then, of course, uh, well, maybe not, of course, but uh, here in Northern California, we have a ton of of orchards, and so. Uh, uh, actually, no. It's not even the orchards that orchards can just be sprayed. That's no problem. It's the um, the rice fields uh, that are really hard to apply pesticides to. So there are uh, two or three uh, crop duster companies, and it's really cool because uh, in the spring, uh, you know, everybody gets um, uh, hires crop dusters to come out and take care of their fields, and so you'll be driving down ninety nine. And they're just, you know, three crop dusters in sight, uh, all these, uh, biplanes flying crazy low patterns. And then, uh, every once in a while, you'll see one just parked on the side of the highway because they, you know, they've got this tiny little grass strip to land on and they're, uh, sat next to a big tanker truck filling them back up and they take off from this tiny little strip again and get back to work. It's, it's, uh, it's really cool. So, I mean, that, that kind of thing still happens where we've got this, you know, hardware being shared. And I think that's not going to be something that we don't see in the future because um, until we wind up with e-dust, you know, everything dust that can uh, just be nano machines that can do everything, um, we're still going to have very specific uh, tools, you know, that are only used for one particular job and then they are no longer useful to a particular group of people. And the best thing to do is just to pass them on. Yeah, absolutely. And and especially in this particular case where you've got this very strong initial sort of building phase mm-hmm. of uh of a terrarium, but then after that point it's all about, you know, kind of gardening your internal volume. It, it yeah, that's you're not going to need those machines anymore and and hanging on to them doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if it's ever actually going to be worth the money instead of just grabbing one or two small asteroids and bringing them to earth orbit. Um, I wonder if it's ever going to be worth the money to actually fly out to these asteroids and set up shop. Yeah. And that's one of the, the ideas that I, I I'm hoping we can move past because I want to use the money and the resources for the purpose of setting up a place for people and not the other way around. I don't want to use people as a means by which we extract these things mm-hmm. for the same groups that already have the things mm-hmm. on earth. Because I mean, and I totally understand that that's absolutely the way that we work right now, but I think that's it. It's, it's such a 
short-sighted way of viewing it, where if if you flip it around and basically say, our goal is to make sure that lots of people are in lots of places outside of this one big, you know, um, what did you call it? The crab, uh, tra- crab bucket. This one big crab bucket that we're in right now. Did I call it a crab bucket? I, I think you gave the, the crab bucket analogy uh, last time. I don't remember that. <laughs> the uh, the one where basically if you uh, you have the bucket and you put the crab in the bu- a bunch of crab in the bucket, um, the ones who start to crawl out will actually get pulled back in by the ones who are in the bucket. Oh, system. wow. No, I've never heard of that. Who was I talking to? That? Anyway, so we won't use that analogy then. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but you mean you mean the crabs are pulled back in as other crabs are trying to get out and exactly. using them for purchase. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Um, um but anyway, so the the point is we are trying to put people and you know ideally the other life that is on earth right now out into the rest of the solar system so that we can have you know, the, the thousand flowers that bloom and any one of which we don't know it, there might be, you know, cause we we're doing this in the United States right now where there's a, there's a whole group of us that are kind of looking at Scandinavia and kind of saying they're doing a lot of things really well. And I wish we would do those things here. Well, it, what if there was no, you know, Scandinavian countries to, to actually do that experimentation? I mean, we've talked about this in the past where, you know, what if World War II had gone a very different way and the entirety of the Earth was uh, under fascist governments? If there's no other place to look to that's doing things better, then our, we only have our imagination of what might be. And there are lots of people right now, especially in science fiction, who are thinking of all of these other places and not other places, but other ways of doing things. And if we could just go try them, uh, there's uh, a, an experiment uh, that uh, was done, you know, years ago. Uh, it was written about in a book. I'll, I'll put the, the link in the show notes where um, you had two groups of people in a pottery class. And um, one group was actually told that they were going to be graded on one pot. And if this pot was perfect, they get an A. If it had flaws, they get a B, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which is kind of the, the, the usual way of going about it. The other group was told that they would be graded on volume. So they, if they had, you know, a certain number of pounds of pot that they had made over the, over the course, uh, they'd get an A. If they had a, you know, less than that, they'd get a B, et cetera. And what they found by the end of the course is that the, the people who were being graded on volume on the number of pots that they produced, produce better pots overall than the people who were being graded on like the one perfect pot because the people who worked toward this perfect pot were spending so much time trying to figure out what the perfect pot looked like and they were evaluating it every single time that they weren't spending any time actually practicing whereas the people who were just you know creating like lots of terrible pots were getting so much practice with the act of creating that they became good at it and they became good at it overall. Um, now, not in the, the link that I've got, but in another one that I was looking at that I can't seem to find now, they talked about the difference in kind of the variation between these two groups. The, the groups that were um, focused on this one perfect pot, some of them actually did, they produced the best pots in the group, like over the entire group. And that's fine. But the other group that had kind of all of this like continuous practice, they produced the most good pots because what what happened was more of those people became better at what they were doing than the few that were able to kind of figure it out in the uh, in the, the smaller, like smaller volume group. Hmm. And so what I'm thinking about that is I'm thinking like right now we're living in a place where all we're doing is t- talking about the best way to make a great pot. We're talking about the, like, how, you know this, we, we have all these constant 
arguments over the best possible political system or the best possible economic system or the best possible set of rules or the best possible way of sharing resources and the best possible like tack to take of you know do we take care of other people do we you know are we selfish about things do we do better if we care about our environment do we do better if we ignore our, our environment and all of these are arguments that we're having rather than actually just trying them where if we were to set up a bunch of you know basically you know test cases for environments and civilizations we could just look and see it's like oh well after a, a hundred years this particular place that you know is dealing with people equitably versus this place that is you know has a, a strict class structure they're different in these ways and so now as we're setting up a new you know place um they're going to take what they think are the the best attributes from these others and they're going to try and see if if you know that works better hmm. so anyway that's the that's right super encouraging <laughs> that that just makes me feel so good thinking about yeah being able to just get that volume up that's oh so yeah. good and then when we do get to the point where we can start setting off for other planets around other stars because we really should I mean, quite honestly, you take one of these terraria and that's what you send. I mean, not mm -hmm. necessarily the actual thing itself, but mm -hmm. something that looks and acts so much like it because it's an enclosed volume with its own power. And, you know, maybe you take away the ability to trade with your neighbors, but maybe there are some that are just really stable and they don't need much trading with their neighbors and they could get by with that. And you ship them off. Yeah, seed pods. Yeah. Oh, oh, that was a good note to end on. Thank you. 